you versus the rent. This podcast is dedicated to renaissance persons and their struggles to pay the bills. You are our very first listener. Thank you. If I were a stray dog, you'd be throwing me fish. And today... We're interviewing Heather Normandale. Now, Heather is many things. She is a bicyclist, an educator, a songwriter, a world-traveling, puppeteering witch, and above all else, charming, interesting, great person to have on the first episode of the podcast. My God, she made it easy. So, please, welcome her. Gently rub your temples. Take a deep breath. Here she comes. So, thanks for inviting me to play. I have a new song, just two days old. And um, I guess it's called Divine Love. I never write blues songs like this, but it just kind of came out with a very few lyrics. So going with it.
a whole chorus of people so it sounds like lots of people are cheering <laughs> uh, welcome I thought you meant like singing harmonies on the song oh sure <laughs> why not that sounds great is that the world premiere of that song I played it last night at the show oh so that was it. the world premiere but uh, this was uh, we could say this is the, you know this might reach more people this was a show with uh, Banda Sin Nombre that's mm-hmm. right yeah I um, played at the Legionnaire right in the loft with Banda Sin Nombre right 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 and and they were doing uh, Latin folk music right yeah cool which yeah, you have background covers. in mm-hmm. because you studied it in college yeah I do research. It's like, one of the reasons why I'm doing this is it's like, oh, this is, this legitimates any, like, just stalking of people that I do online. I can learn anything that's out there where usually I'm very shy to even learn, you know, because of my own internalized thought police. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not, it's not police. I don't know. Thought wet blanket? Something like that. Thank you so much for uh, coming here. Actually, I do want to kind of like dig into the the Latin music connection that you have. Um, so, how did that start? I I think I got obsessed with a singer named Joanna uh, Susanna Baca in I think it was high school or college through Putumayo. Putumayo was like. You know, they, they make CDs of world music. Mm. I think they maybe sent me something. Um, they sent me, like, a sampler in the mail when I was in middle school. It was, like, mm-hmm. a kid's music CD. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Manichao, Susanna Baca. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> La Cidicella. Like, they're, yeah. like, some of my favorite, Manu you know. Chao is so awesome. And uh, yeah. so that blew my mind, and I was like, what? world music? <laughs> you could, like, travel around the world and meet people that play music and yeah, it's so yeah. different and so my mind was just blown and yeah. decided for that and a couple of the reasons that I wanted to study anthropology yeah. and I wanted to study you know why people play music and why music becomes a like central point to bringing and creating bringing together people and making community and so I got I got super into that, and also very curious about the connections of music with, um, with faith, mm. and what makes people believe certain things, and mm. why music has such a strong and powerful role, um, and what exactly is happening, and like what are the mm. different kinds of roles that music play in mm. faith and like religion and spirituality in general. Mm. Um, so that was kind of like where I ended up getting into with my thesis in Ecuador. I did a, a study about um, songs called Arruyos, mm-hmm. and they're, um, they're songs that are sung both at wakes of young children and also for saints' days. And so they, they're kind of like songs that create a pathway between the worlds of, Whoa. you know, allowing the children, because in Catholic faith, 
on the innocents go to La Gloria, like they go yeah. to heaven, everybody else goes to purgatory. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know that much about Catholicism, but I know that um, the children would go to heaven, the saints would come down through these songs. And so it was, wow. it was really interesting. And there were people that were like the singers, Arrulladora, you know, like, and they had what, really special roles in the community. Sure. What kind of what kind of size of community is this that we're talking about? Well, in particular, the small town of Muisne in mm-hmm. Ecuador on the mm-hmm. coast. How big? Um, I'm bad at estimating sizes. It was a pretty small town. It was like an island, actually. Mm. So, and, so not you know, more everybody... than like a, a couple thousand people. Right, exactly. Yeah, everybody everyone knows everybody. each other, you know, like people yeah. have got like 40 nephews and nieces and, yeah. you know, <laughs> like <Yeah>. 23 <laughs> brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, Amazing. there was like the bumbo player that would play the big drum and there was somebody that would play the maracas and the singer and they would kind of work together utilizing these structures, these traditions that had, that were really old and stretched back. To like they, There was, like, African traditions involved in them. But, like, those structures that they were bringing forth, they were creating a lot of improvisational content. But the content was very, like, here, and this is happening, and she's doing that, and this is happening, mm. and it's, like, taking, like, this is all the pieces of the, like, a stone soup. You know, mm. they're like, this is what's happening now, and mm. and we're making this soup for the, for the you know, the, the saints. And <laughs> it, was, it was cool, because it was very, it was like where tradition and improvisation meet in a musical sense, but also yeah. you see it how it helps traditions continue, but it keeps things more relevant in the present moment. Well, <laughs> that's cool. I love the idea of... of improvisation rooted in tradition because when i think about it those are the strongest mm-hmm. improvisations right that are digging from this like deep shared well they're not pulling exactly. only from an individual subconscious but from a sort of like more collective one and like a born out of history and uh-huh. suffering and just like getting the the food on the table right. yeah when you kind of like tap into that thing that it feels really powerful like the song that i wrote the other day for example yeah. I'm like, this song's been written, like, hundreds of times. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like, it sounds, sure. the chords are, like, the lyrics, but, like, that, in that, like, yearning, that kind of, like, uh bluesy yes, yes, yearning, yes. it's like, it, but then it connects you with, with uh, that human experience. So. Yeah, that one had, I felt, I felt a sort of Appalachian kind of vibe coming from it, like, the sort of, just the high, lonesome sound. yeah. What is the first memory that you have of watching somebody sing? Oh, live? Anything. Or anything. Anything. Mm, the first memory. It probably was my mom. Did everybody in your family sing? You know, they were very playful with it. Mm. Like, my dad would sing all the time. Mm. My mom would sing all the time. They were neither embarrassed of their voice, nor were they, like... Oh, I can sing so great. It was just like really mm. like a playful thing all the time. Yeah. My dad would always sing with me and and make funny voices and Yeah. You know. Totally. <laughs> and I I always loved it. And then looking back I'm like, Oh yeah, thank God they did all that stuff. And now and I started working with kids and I'm trying to get parents to basically do that. I'm like, Yeah, yeah. that's good stuff. You yeah. gotta make it playful and then yeah. people will try and they won't They won't feel so self conscious about it. Yeah, they it won't or... feel like, oh no gotta be a certain way you know? right right fall into this trap of making everything so professionalized what has been your experience in 
your experience teaching children to sing? Like, what gets them to come out of their shell? Mm. Well, can I answer it in more of a broad, like, people, not specifically children? Because I... Oh, yeah, sure. I think I've worked more with adults... Oh, really? Okay, cool. ...on invoice lessons. Um, the children in my classes are anywhere from, like, five months to five years old. Hmm. And they... Are very where it's the the idea of music together is very much like you just let the kids do whatever they want. Yeah, they might start singing along. Yeah. you know when they're like three, age you know three and up. But it's through modeling. Like we're not mm. asking them to do perform and do anything. Mm. We're basically like we're having fun and singing, and all the parents yeah, are yeah. having fun and singing. And yeah. So it's about modeling, and I think that's good for everybody. I think modeling. F- Freedom and openness Definitely. and com- self-comfortableness is helpful. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't always, like, reach people that are trying to get over, like, certain emotional blocks. And I got into um, the yoga of voice yeah. with a woman uh, named Ann Dyer. She mm. was... Well, when I moved to San Francisco, I started... I did a teacher training, and I was like, I really want to work with sound healing mm. and, like sound and yoga and how they intersect and like how you can both sing while you're doing yoga or like do certain yoga to help open up your voice or do more subtle work and like Mm. what that would be and everybody pointed me to Ann Dyer and Mm. I started taking classes with her and she developed a whole program yoga of the voice and did a choir there was Mm. a a yoga choir Mm. that performed at YBCA in Mm. 2013 and 14 so we learned so much choir. from her. Okay. Help me hmm? visualize this. Uh, it was about 80 people. Uh-huh. And um, it was 80 people, and we had it, We had four parts to the presentation, and they were based around the four stages of meditation. Cool. And so in each, each piece mm-hmm. was a, an original composition by Anne, who was previously a jazz singer in the area, and so she worked with her band to make these beautiful compositions and then integrate these 80 people, who many of them had never sung before, in general, let alone in front of people at the YBCA. Sure. So it was, you know, and it was all ages, it was a big range from like 25 to like 80 year olds, and to be in the choir, you went through like a, a workshop series where you... You would, you know, you'd sing the vowels, you know, there's like vowel yeah. sounds, there's yeah, different yeah, yeah. kinds of work that we would do with ra- ragas and yeah. sound meditation. And um, so it was a lot of toning. It was like huge groups singing together, mm. toning, and then there was certain specific compositions that mm. we worked out too. But mm. they were they were relatively simple. But really beautiful and impactful. But the was there any was there any physical movement that was involved in the in the performance? Yeah. In the practice, you would do kind of like a physical warm-up with the hair and your hands and your chest. There's all the different things you would do with your face and your jaw and your tongue. Yeah. Um, But that was more to prime the body for for the singing. Looseness and freedom. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Kind of like how yoga is like priming the body for meditation. It's like uh, priming it for... Or letting all of your sound emanate from you, and That's instead of instead like, of thinking about the sound coming as like a flashlight, yeah, you were like emanating it like a lantern, like interesting. You know, that's, imagining. That's, so is it almost like you're doing it so you can get the body out of your way and you can just yeah. 
let yeah, the get lights... Yeah, your mind out of the way, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, there was a lot of people that we worked with who, um, you know, when, when in the safe zone of, like, a yoga class, and you're very kind of, like, turned inward, and you're able to, like, be calm, and it really helps people get rid of the anxieties that go along with singing when people have those kind of anxieties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, then, and then just kind of the voice work that's going up and down the chromatic scale and working, you know, with it in the raga format. It's, it's great. Raga it, format is in, like, one, one note as a, as a root, and then everyone is singing together over it? Or um, it oh, well, the, we would have a... Songs. There would be a tempora playing, mm. and... We'd be calling response, and she would select a certain raga, which would just like decide which notes we would work with, mm. and we would use sargam like saurega, saurega ma padanisa. Oh, it's like solfege in in classical Indian Whoa, music, cool. and so you would just like say those notes, and then you'd sing the ah, you would yeah. sing different different shapes of vowels to like resonate vibration in different parts of the body. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's the Sadegama Fantasy the thing that you were just saying. Um, what is there anything? Do they teach microtonal at all? We didn't do any of that. I haven't studied the microtonal at all. I'm sure they like the practice, the like Nada Yoga is there's it's so big and it's been around for so long. There's probably a lot in yeah. there about that too. Totally, totally, totally. Uh, okay, so back to the questions. Um, are you from the Bay Area? I'm from Florida. You're from Florida. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, because you went to uh, New College of Florida. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you were actually from there. Um, when did you get to the Bay Area? 2006. 2006. Mm-hmm. Okay, so huge transformations since then. Can you tell me what your experience has been like? Because you've been, you've been in the arts thing the whole time. Yeah, I moved out here with a band. With my band at the time, and our uh, my bandmate's boyfriend was our recording engineer and recorded a CD uh, when we moved out here and got involved with like the music scene through Hotel Utah. Yeah. Like, and that the CD you recorded you know, was that so Stitchcraft. Stitchcraft, cool. That mm-hmm. one that that got on uh, NPR back in the day. Oh yeah, uh huh. Music, all music. Considered or something like that. Yeah. We spent lots of time working on our CD, and then after that, everybody was like, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to get, you know. Right. <laughs> so it was just, it was just like the time Classic. was ripe for change. Sure. And, um, and it was also the time period where it started getting impossible to stay in the city. Um, sure. The rents were going up. Um, I think I lived there for about three years and then mm. moved to East Bay. Yeah. Yeah, and you've been here ever since. And I've been here ever since, yeah. Because I was like, man, well, I like the city, but I'm down to pay half as much rent and take the bar. You know? Yeah. Totally. And then I was like, I don't even need to go to the city. All my friends live in the East Bay, you know? Right, right. You know, it's interesting that I got involved with some of the musicians that I p- still play with now mm. through the music scene back in, like, 2007, just mm. playing shows in the city. There used to be... I. I feel that there was it seemed like there was more going on musically and, and venue wise but it could just be what I'm exposed to I think there was you know the Bay Area was producing 
a national act at that time, like mm-hmm. the Dodos. Yeah. Who maybe you even played with them? I mean, that's like the same time. I remember them playing at Cafe du Nord. Yeah, yeah, and um, like Girls, of course, was huge. Um, there was another one. There was like a big orchestral band that I remember from that time, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm blanking on their name. They they did a Tiny Desk concert. Um, I was like, oh my god, San Francisco, and I looked at the date. It's like, of course, it's, it's concerts from two thousand nine. You know, mm-hmm. um, I I really do think that that's that's true, and 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 part of that, just speaking as a young person who has seen all of my artistic friends move away, mm-hmm. is that I, I think the trends make it very imposing to like put down roots here. Uh-huh. You know, so there's so there's not as much new blood as there should be for a place that's this like naturally beautiful and like dense with human beings. And one of the goals that I really have for this podcast is kind of to help people start thinking creatively about how to be an artist in a difficult moment for being artists. I mean, particularly in the Bay Area, but I think in general with these like these rent crises in the large cities it's really difficult to find the, the time to both like pay your rent and dedicate yourself um, to your art. And I think the solution is to be more sort of creative about how we present our things, like yeah. where we go, how we share, uh-huh. um, moving beyond the kind of impoverished ecosystem of DIY venues. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have you here because of all your work with um, Biketopia Collective. I shouldn't give the history of this because I honestly can't do it as well as you can. Can you give me like a brief synopsis oh, yeah. of Biketopia Collective, like how it started, where it's going? Yeah. So <clears throat> it started in 2015, the Biketopia Music Collective. And what it is too, sorry. And it, um, it is a collection of about five bands who collaborated collaboratively raised funds to purchase our own um, mobile bike powered sound system mm. and uh, from rock the bike mm. and so we've got equipment that is like super lightweight and we can carry on our bicycles and we can mm. set up stands and speakers and hook some um, generator wheels to our bicycles and power a concert anywhere we, anywhere we want mm. and um, this was inspired by a group that started doing these tours in 2008 um, or 2007, 2008, The Pleasant Revolution. Mm. It was a group, um, Gabe Dominguez of Shake Your Peace, um, Kipchoge Spencer of the Ginger Ninjas. They, collab- <laughs> they awesome, uh, collaborated man. together to kind of invent this thing with the help of, uh, you know, the people that rock the bike and various other geniuses that put yeah. these things together. Yeah. Um, and they went from here down to Mexico. And I remember I met them right at the beginning of that journey. Mm. And uh, the very first Bicycle Music Fest happened here in Oakland. And um, I was like, oh, these people, what am I doing with my life? This is what yeah. I want to do. But I was like, <laughs> oh, I have a band and a boyfriend and, a, and rent. And like, yeah. I can't just bike to Mexico. And, so, like, yeah. I biked along with them for a couple days and then um, came home. And uh, a couple years later when we and my band did break up and, you know, everything 
uh, went in a million different directions, I saw them again, and they were like, oh, what are you doing? You want to go bike tour? I'm like, no, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so I joined, I, I think their, their group went down to Mexico, did some stuff in Guatemala, um, and they toured in a couple other places too, but I joined with them for a Northwest tour, yeah. and then we went to Europe the next year. And um, so basically did That's this amazing. tour for six months through 12 different countries in Europe. A boring logistical question, but also <laughs> like fascinating to me. Like, how did you get bi- the bikes to Europe? Because these things, just yeah, so people... We on a boat. Okay. You go, a boat? It cool. Like, it was the Queen Mary, too. Whoa, cool. Cool. Which uh, was, you know, not as eco-ideal as a sailboat. But everyone we talked to <laughs> in the whole world of sailboats were like, they would laugh at our face. They're like, oh, you want to get 15 uh, cargo bikes on our sailboat? Yeah. Click. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it just, it was very, it was a very from not the, realistic thing. From the port of San Francisco? I don't know. No, we took a train across the country. We okay, took Amtrak cool. to New York uh-huh. and then went from New York to um, England. Cool. In the boat. Amazing. How much does it cost to get bikes on a boat? It was a thousand bucks. Okay. One way. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. That was it. Our, including ourselves. And including right. being on a boat for seven days with all you can eat food 24 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> and a actually, swimming pool. That's not that bad then. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty silly yeah. to be on a cruise ship. We were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Such an interesting. <laughs> because the funniest thing about that uh-huh. was that we spent seven days on a boat before we started biking. Yeah. Stuffing our faces, you know, and then we proceeded to be like homeless travelers for the next six months, yeah. like, li- wearing <laughs> the same dirty clothes like every single day and like yeah. eating off of the ground. And yeah. you know, but but we started out <laughs> on the, the Queen Mary, <laughs> I mean, it started work? and ended, you know? it, it worked though, it right? Worked. Like, you oh, were yeah, on the no. road for six months, exactly. and you, you fed it, yourselves, it you sustained yourselves, you were healthy. Through CD sales, it was pretty magical. Yeah, and through yeah. grants, we got some grants. Cool. Okay, um, that's good for people to think about. Um, one of the things that I really like about the Biketopia Collective is that you guys have a social mission. So it's not just uh-huh. about like your own ego as artists and like how great you are as a singer. You know, even though you are great as a singer, it's about like this sort of like ecological mission and social yeah. transformation and getting people to think differently about uh-huh. how to power these things and also where they can be. Personal empowerment. Totally. You know, it's like, it's kind of like a, it's a symbol of community power. Right. Yeah, it's totally DIT, you know? Yeah, Because it's like, hey, we're creating this together. Our energy is creating this amazing thing that we can share. And it doesn't have to be plugged into the wall. And we don't have to be driving around in cars. And, right. Um, yeah, it's great. And it, it also that. opens up the way for new revenue streams for artists yeah i opened the madeline so i'm have some we have uh we have ma- um, dried mangoes too if you want them this whole model has been successful mm-hmm. continues to be successful like is uh allowing you to reach people who you wouldn't reach if you were playing in traditional venues like i know mm-hmm. you 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 play in in farmers markets, and I know it's strange to refer to entire communities as untraditional venues, but small towns really don't <laughs> get a lot of artists touring through yeah. them. Um, especially, you know, in Northern California, like there's so many, there's so many small towns between here and um, 
you know, Eugene. Yeah, the, the, that is a really, um, like, the, so in 2015 and 2000, oh, no, I'm sorry, 2016 and 18, Bike Topia Music Collective did our two tours, and um, both one from Canada to San Francisco, and mm. the most recent one starting in Washington and coming back to San Francisco. Mm. And, um, yeah, there were so many small towns that we would, you know, meet the people at the community center, and then they would, like, help us throw a show, mm. or, you know, farmer's markets that mm. would scoop us in at the last minute, and mm. and people just were so inspired. There was something, awesome. and I think there's something extra sparkly when you are on the road, mm. and you're like... There's this invincible feeling that you get when mm. you bike all day, every day, for weeks. Absolutely. You feel like a superhero, mm. and you're just like, it's like this crew of like super vibrant, strong mm. people that are just, you know, um, not super worried about their stuff and putting on performances. And mm. the impact it has on people, it's... Um, it's really interesting and fascinating and encouraging as an artist on that tour because you're like, whoa, I didn't realize people would be so touched to yeah. witness this. Yeah. You know, they'd yeah. be like, but it would blow blow people's minds sometimes. They're like, well, you're doing what? Yeah. You can do that? And like, yeah. it just would continue. Even though we've done these tours, I've done like five or six of these tours, that aspect of it doesn't get old because yeah. it feels so unique Totally, that when people witness it, they're like, oh, my God. And what it essentially does is make them, you know, appreciate music, appreciate community, appreciate, like, yeah. like the earth. And, and all of those things feel really good. Yeah. To... And I imagine people of all ages, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, kids definitely love it, too. Mm-hmm. And older people as well. And older people will get on the bikes. Yeah, a lot awesome. of people will get on the bikes that are, you know, they're just like, oh my God, you know, like, oh, I'm doing that. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah, totally. That was kind of my response the first time I went to a bike, a bike Tobia show. Yeah. Really, really pumped to power the show. Yeah. Um, it's a, there's a great element of, um, sort of co conspiracy with the audience that's not the right term collaboration mm -hmm. something like that oh yeah because they're creating energy for you to give energy to them through the music yeah and yeah, so beautiful. that's that's the thing that i love is it makes people revved up and excited and right. they're giving you your you're like really giving you the energy for real and Right. Um, oh, that's so cool. The energy of the crowd is like literally coming into yeah. the speakers. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's a magical aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just the like um getting people to think outside the box. Yeah. And you know, they're it's creating this new this new thing. Like in in like self-sufficiency as far as like creating your own energy. Yeah. Um how you can do that or that you can like drop all your possessions and go on a bike tour and and have that simplified version of life and that that's kind of like the the story with why the pleasant revolution was called that mm, 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 mm. that was the the first group that um was doing bike tours mm. um their idea was that 
you know, slow things down to a pleasant level, like mm. to a, a pleasant um, speed. Mm. Like, do we have to do so much in a day? Do we have to get mm. there so fast? Right, do we right, have right. to, like, plan things so far away? And, and like, yeah. the stakes are so high. Everyone has to, like rush as fast as they can and make as much as they can to hoard as much as they can and yeah. and then sell it and <laughs> it's it's like all the speed is creating such waste yeah. and such uh, unpleasant haste so unpleasant haste yeah <laughs> there's all these sort of editorials that are being shared around at least in my my circle uh, sort of criticizing this particular moment where every hobby that a person has is being commercialized. Like, there's a great story from one of these about, a you know, the two women who are at a wedding, and one of them um, compliments the other on her, um, on her dress, and the other one says, thank you, like, I made this. And the other one's like, wow, that's incredible. Do you have, a, do you have an Etsy store, right? And the other woman is like, no, and she gets all downcast. And, and it's this, like, strange situation where the fact that she has, like, handmade her own beautiful dress is, like, a cause of distress for her. Because, right? because she doesn't she, have an Etsy store. Because she, oh, she hasn't sold I don't have it. my shit together. Oh, my God. Right. Right, exactly. God, that's so... That's it, it's a strange moment because I, because on the one hand I'm sympathetic to that critique and on the other hand we do have to work harder in this moment to like support ourselves and it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be this way but it, if it is this way um, I don't want people to be discouraged uh, about doing it yeah exactly yeah. exactly so it's yeah. I, I really like this idea of taking six months and going to Europe but it's it's slow at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. It's bicycle paced. Yeah. Did you guys have gigs planned out, or was it this thing that you were talking about, where like it spontaneously generated? You show up and well, people invite oh no, you. we would um, we planned mm. most. Well, we planned a lot of it out, and then we planned spontaneous stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we were like, we're gonna ride through these towns, and we'll probably just show up in the town square and do something. But mm-hmm. we had. In in the in the oh, so Europe. it's kind of like a busking model. Yeah, because you can play publicly because yeah, you have exactly. this ability. Uh-huh. Wow, cool! But we had in in the Europe tour, we had split up into like I don't know. There was maybe five to seven different people that were signed up as organizers, mm. and they would say, "Okay, I've got London, I've got Berlin, I've got you know Barcelona," mm. and you would seek out potential collaborators mm. you know you could look in to the music community you could look into the bicycle advocacy community mm. to like the alternative you know bike punks you know there was all sorts of sure. different people that we collaborated with depending on what town it was yeah and um so we would plan a bicycle music festival in london mm. and you know the one in london in for example was with this bicycle advocacy group mm. so you know like everybody had little vests and they were, you know, listen, paying attention to all the, the laws. You know, mm. it was like a very orderly group, and um, which was very different than when we were in Vienna, where we organized with uh, bike jousters and bike jousters. Yeah, people, what are they, bike were, jousters? they would ride tall bikes, like two bikes stacked on top of each other, yeah. and um, and they would joust. 
They what? would like knock each other off their off bikes with poles. <laughs> That's which is part of the punk community there. What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved Vienna. How Vienna have I not? It was so much fun. Done this before. Um, but yeah, and there were like probably ten different big bicycle music fests. Yeah. That were collaborating with different groups. Like in Barcelona, it was with uh, 350.org. Mm-hmm. And we had an event that happened to be on 10-10-10, which, you know, that that was a special day in October. Um, and then in some places, we would organize with uh, the U.S. Embassy, like yeah. Berlin, uh, Budapest. We had... Uh, organization from the and what was the other place oh yeah. and brussels england that's a good idea because there's money that the embassies have i don't know what's happening now but i know at the time there was money the embassies have to mm. like bring americans you know there to do arts to right. like oh here's americans doing some art you Especially know like that's exactly what it, you know mm-hmm. that's exactly what the money is there for so they uh they funded pretty much our whole tour that's those, amazing those three grants and we made it last. I mean, we made it. <laughs> sure. Do you mind if I ask how much each grant was, approximately? Um, like 8000 3000 Oh, cool. And 5000 Yeah, that's a substantial amount of money. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a lot of, you know, people all put their own money into into the tour. and Sure. Um, we would get a lot of donations and do a lot of busking. So, okay, when you're thinking about what this is for, is... The goal to like grow your careers, or is it to invent a new lifestyle, or is it both? You know, the idea that bike touring would support our career. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange. Is there, it's is, a strange it's one. It's just like that's not what's happening. Mm. Um, I think it. It's definitely one of those things that. The people get involved in it because it's a life experience. Yeah. Because they want to have the opportunity to travel with with other musicians in Mm. a situation where you're like this team and you work together and you're together every day and it's a very family vibe. Um, And you're working for a mission that you really believe in. And so Mm. you get to talk about that. And it's very, it's, it's not very self facing. It's not like, oh, my music. It's like, Oh, I'm getting to share my music on this platform of this really cool idea. Sure. Because I'm, you know, I think, not to say that the people that are involved aren't interested in excelling in their careers with music, but it seems that for none of them it's very cutthroat, like, (laughs) like that's all they want to focus on, you know. Right, that's probably, Uh, that's probably what makes it compelling as well. Yeah. It's so intensely collaborative. It yeah. comes through every show that I've seen mm-hmm. that you guys have ever performed. Like, everyone is singing in everyone else's bands yeah. and sharing songs. Yeah, it and, became like that. Right. And I think, I think Tom Edmondson sent me some recordings of songs you'd, like, written on the road together. Yeah, there was a lot of collaborative songwriting happening on this last tour. Um, and that was fantastic. That was fantastic. It just was, like, really fresh for people um everyone that was on the tour was like hey i want to play music with everybody mm. hey oh you want to do harmonies <laughs> oh hey what do you think about this song and, yeah. um and it was great to have that culture of open 
open collaboration, right. and it would encourage other people to be uh, creative. And oh my god, I bet your head was just full of music, like new ideas yeah. every single day. Uh huh. And and you get a lot of time when you're on your bike to think about stuff. Totally. You get ideas, and then you're just like do 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 put a little voice memo, listen to the voice memo, totally. think about the the words, make a new voice memo. Right. <laughs> While you're on your bike, you know. Right. Totally. So. It's it's like you're with people 24 hours a day, but you still have a good amount of personal space. Right. Because, like, if you're riding eight hours a day, you can just put those headphones on. Right. And, like, you're, it's you and the entire world because you've got, like, blue sky. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the, my favorite things, too, about, about the tour is just being under that blue sky ah. for weeks. That's You're beautiful. just an outdoor animal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so uplifting. And somehow we managed to avoid rain almost entirely, which is kind of, it's convenient for us, but it was it is kind of tragic how rain-free. You know what I mean? It was sure. like, oh, I forgot that it rained. And <laughs> it didn't yeah, rain right. once during the entire tour. Right. Like that's not good. No, <laughs> it's indeed. not good at all. Yeah, that's honestly that stuff worries me more than the the rent market things, putting down roots here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we shouldn't end on that note. I'm interested in what artists you're excited about and what like sort of group kind of activities that people are working on. Like, what is hip to you in the Bay Area right now? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, well, I'm very excited about the Femme Freak Folk ladies. Oh, uh, yeah. Who I've been colla- uh, talking with, collaborating That's the with. Arts Music Catalyst Collective. Know their name. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about what their mission is and um, have really enjoyed the artists that they've uh, featured. Love Madeline Taskin. Love uh, Rosie. Roxy. Roxy. Roxy Rawson. Oh, Roxy Rawson. But there's also yeah. a Rosie. La Di Da. Is oh, okay, cool. Rosie? Okay, yeah. Yeah, they all played that one show. Definitely loving being involved in the Cumbia community through Bicicletas mm. and the whole Columbia Cartel group. There's a, all of these different bands that uh, play Cumbia, and I love that community. That's, um, I feel really fortunate to be a part of that through Bicicletas. And. Whisker Man, too. Whisker Man? Who are they? What do they do? Um, they're a rock band and a uh, very talented violin player that plays in that band. They just, they're just good. Yeah. I love all the violin music that is that is in right now. Uh-huh. Um, but actually, Infinite Neck is a violin player as well. That's my, my housemate right now. Infinite. A and performance artist. Fantastic. Yeah. That's um, the, their name because there's... It's it's Michael and, and Finn who are in that group. But the, I'll get them on this podcast. Uh, so, okay, the other things. This has all been great, and I, I love reality, but uh, I also love, you know, surreality. So would you welcome the complete disappearance of night or of day? Oh. Oh, that's a difficult one. Probably I would... Welcome the disappearance of night before day, because, you know, I'd want my food to grow, 
You know, I could just put my head under a blanket or go into a cave if I was in right. right. But you got to have that sun. Yeah. That sun in the blue sky. But you got to have the moon, too. It's true. It's it's a hard one, but if I had to choose... Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, if I I'd keep know. the day. Ha- have you had the experience of re-entering a dream at the point where it left off one or more days before? No, but that's awesome. I oh. haven't. Okay, okay. Uh, let, let's see, how do you, recurring dreams ever? Yeah. I had, when I was little, I used to have a recurring dream of, of it was a nightmare, actually, of my brother drowning at the bottom of a really, really deep, hot tub. Hated that dream. I would always wake up and I'd be like, <gasps> and I'd look under the bunk bed, you know, because we had bunk beds, and he was still there, and I'd be like, <laughs> oh my god! I that's the only recurring dream I can think yeah. of. That one was horrible though. Uh, one more question: <laughs> If you had the opportunity to change sex at regular intervals, e.g., one day in seven, would you accept? And then what would you do? What would I do? So if I had the opportunity to change to into a man one day of the week, is that? What yeah, yeah, at a regular yeah. interval, and you at can choose interval. what the regular interval is. It can be like under the full moon or something. You can what be like a wear man. What you want? Probably want to have sex. If I was mm-hmm. gonna, ch- if the thing that was gonna change was my my sex organs, I'd probably be like, all right, we gotta try this out too. Right, sure, sure. So, <laughs> if you can say that on the radio, it's not the radio. It doesn't matter. It's the internet. You can say whatever you want. Would you like to play us out on the kazoo? has to say i hope you do if you do and i think you did or will how does time work in podcast speak i think that you should because you're hearing it in the present but i'm recording in the past how does it work i think that you should go listen to her album golden threads it's available on itunes it's available on spotify It's available on Bandcamp, where the money you spend goes directly to the artist. And uh, here's a little clip of us talking about it before its release. I'm about to uh, release a new album called Golden Threads. Mm -hmm. And um, I recorded it with Robin Applewood, Robin Applewood Music Studio. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited to release it. Our date is still in 
in the works for the release party. But it should be very soon in the next two months. Why is it called Golden Threads? Um, one of the songs is um, the Spider song, and it was written inspired by an Anansi story. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of Anansi stories about like a trickster spider. It's like a, an African folktale. And this particular one was about the spider who wanted... He's like, oh, there's a potluck over there, there's a potluck over here, yeah. potluck over there, and um, the spider wants to go to all the potlucks, but they're like, I don't know which one to go to, so he sends out his little spiderling, you know, understudies, like, okay, you go to check out what's happening there, you check out what's happening there, and then tug on the thread, and he ties all the threads around his waist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody in every different direction starts pulling at the same time. And then it's one of those funny things. Like, the moral of the story is that's why the spider has such a tiny waist. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're like, oh. But I remember reading that story and being like, I'm like that spider. I want to go in every direction at once. Like, yeah. following your golden threads. I think that's an idea that a lot of people can relate to. And if you're one of them, don't trade golden thread for murky coffee and bleariness. Keep being ingenious. Keep your curiosity alive. Thank you for listening. <laughs>